This is Max. This is Christina. This is Evan. This is Allie. And you're listening to Semi Pros. You haven't read the half of it. So, Coconut Dreams by Derek Mascarenas. It's a series of interconnected stories. Uh, so it kind of reads in a way like a novel, but they're all short stories and they all center around the Pinto family. Um, so it starts with kind of the family origins, more or less, in Goa, India, uh, in the late 40s and kind of leading over into kind of the mid 50s. And it talks about sort of where, I guess, the patriarch of the Pinto family, Felix, comes from and his sort of, the sort of weird and almost supernatural uh, circumstances surrounding his birth. He's actually born at a funeral, uh, which is kind of a weird and maybe ominous way to begin your life. And then it kind of talks about this ghost story that takes place maybe when he's around 10 or 9, like when he's a, when he's a child in Goa later. And then we move ahead kind of 40 years to the early 90s, and it looks at Felix's kids primarily, Aiden. There are two. There's an older boy, Aiden, and a girl, um, Allie. With a Y. No relation. Yeah, with a Y. <laughs> um, Spelt the wrong way. <laughs> and they're growing up in suburban southern Ontario. I got the sense. I read Burlington. somewhere that it was Burlington, but I kind of yeah. missed that. But it was clear that it was a Burlington-esque place. But they're growing up in a kind of primarily white suburb of Toronto, and it kind of looks at a number of stories of them growing up. They have various encounters with bullies uh, in their lives. Um, They have kind of family visits from people. They're kind of extended family who visit from Goa or from elsewhere in India. Um, Kind of a memorable one with their Aunt Delilah. There are other stories that kind of are less connected to the Pinto family. So we have uh, one, there's like a UK couple visiting these islands in India, and they have kind of a chance encounter with Clara, who's the sort of mother of the Pinto family, uh, and then sort of a strange uh, story about a locksmith who's going through a lot who encounters Clara as well. Um, we have Ali's sort of first romantic almost encounter, a kind of crush with uh, a contractor's child. Well, actually, there's another really good story about an IKEA opening and Felix <laughs> bringing the kids to an IKEA opening. But it's kind of booking it with Aiden in his early 20s, going back to visit where his family came from in Goa and kind of realizing the title of the book is called Coconut Dreams. And it's him kind of reckoning that he's a coconut himself, which is kind of a white somewhat, inside. Yeah, derogatory term for white on the inside, brown on the outside. Um, whereas uh, he's a, you know, person of Indian origin, but he's grown up in this sort of white culture and reckoning with that. So basically it's a book about a well-adjusted middle-class family who are pretty chill with each other. (laughs) Right? I feel like they're relatively, but I feel like they're weird. You think so? I feel like it's not as extreme as other books we've read, but I feel like, I mean, from a couple of stories, it seems clear that their dad, Felix, seems kind of like, feels trapped by circumstances and doesn't, necessarily really want to be a dad or even there. Um, so there's that, but it doesn't come up that often. But I feel like that's a tension that comes up pretty frequently. And that, did that like stick with you? I mean, that story stuck with me. Like imagine hearing your, one of your parents saying that kind of just wistfully dreaming of what, a, his, what his life would be like if you never existed. 
what's, uh, what's, na- <laughs> what's the name of that story again? It's the one set in Ikea. Grand opening. Grand, grand opening, opening, yeah. Okay, so Grand opening, we... grand closing. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it was such a very specific but also very universal kind of feeling of like, dad gets the kids, even though they're married. Like, it's like, dad has the kids or they, and he doesn't know what to do with them. He's like, hey, he there's a great... weird time wasting things. Yeah, just weird time wasting things. Is like, what's more, like, A, sort of occupies kids, but B, of less interest to them than the grand opening of an Ikea. No, no, no. Wait, wait, no, wait. No, you think it's sorry. a huge thing? When you, said, when you said a very universal experience, <laughs> I thought you were going to go on and describe your own Ikea awakening. <laughs> but that wasn't the case. Is I mean, it? I think it's fun for kids, but I think it's also such a like it's lazy parent thing to be like, oh, we're going to go to the grand opening of Ikea. Okay. But so I have really, does anybody, I'll ask you guys after, but you, do you guys have really vivid Ikea kid <laughs> memories? Yeah. Yeah. I think, okay. A, a lot of my house was filled with Ikea furniture. I yeah. feel like taking the taking of kids to an opening of Ikea. I don't know if that's a specifically uh, exciting thing for immigrant families in particular. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like um, it's a weird, because it feels like it's a cult, like the culture of an Ikea feels like it's a true culture, but it's obviously not a true culture. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like that's like the opening of an Ikea is special for immigrant families or going to grand openings is? Because I remember going with my grandmother and my mom to like literally everywhere that had free food around the city. What was your most vivid memory of a grand opening? Best grand opening. Best grand opening. Uh, I don't remember what any of them were, but so every year the Stampede has free Stampede breakfast for the entire 10 days and they are of very varying quality. I've been to every single one of them in the city. My grandmother, it's like her thing that she like would go to them and get the free breakfast, and she'd take us when we were kids, like, every day of the 10 days. What is, what They're at, like, 5 a.m., some of them. What comes with the free breakfast? <laughs> like, eggs. Some of them Some of them are just, like, eggs and toast. Some of them are, like, good and have, like, bacon and sausage and stuff. Mm. It depends on whose breakfast you're going to. Because it's, like, companies <laughs> that are doing it or, like, associations. Oh, so, so it's, like, Suncor presents Exactly. It's, like, their Stampede breakfast. breakfast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so during Stampede, how many free breakfasts do you get? Ten. You get 10 free breakfasts. There's one every day of Stampede. And you would go to all 10? Yes. It's a free breakfast, Max. (laughs) Did you like going to free breakfast? Yeah, like I really liked hanging out with my grandmother because she lived in Chinatown in the city and we lived like in the country. So Mm -hmm. like was like an adventure to go hang out with her. Did she drive? No. Mm -hmm. City buses. Oh. That was also my like introduction to transit. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. And like the plus fifteen, so Calgary has plus fifteen walkways, which are like this, oh, yeah. which are like the path okay. here, but, but they're above ground. ground instead of. So they're called plus fifteens because they're fifteen feet off the ground, um, that connect the buildings. And so she also had like a very good knowledge of all the plus fifteens. But what I liked about that story was just the idea of like this kind of unstructured time that your dad would fill with you. And like I didn't see it as like a lazy or like a bad thing. I just thought it was like you just got an insight into like what everyday life was like for adults and like all the stupid weird places that they had to go and like we didn't always have really structured like play dates or like uh like we did but sometimes it was just like we're gonna go to my dad's friend's house and like and the way that he was like oh today we could maybe stop by the hospital or like do this or do that that was Mm -hmm. like how we were growing up it was just like maybe we're gonna like just randomly go to these people's houses today and see if they're there and we're just gonna like stay there for a bunch of time or maybe we're gonna see if johnny's around Johnny. <laughs> oh my God. Call back, Johnny. Yeah. Whatever. Good call back. <laughs> and I also like the one about 
their trip to Sobble Beach. So, so far away, Christina, do you mind giving us a little recap of what happens in the story so far away? Their aunt, who's their mother's sister, older, one year older sister, Delilah, comes from Mumbai to stay with them for a kind of indetermined amount of time. And it so happens that they're about to go on their annual long weekend trip to Sobble Beach. And they're like kind of resentful of, I think, this interloper kind of tagging along on their family vacation. The ki- this is told from the kid's point of view. Anyway, so they go there and it turns out that there's a bit of a hidden agenda, it sounds like, <laughs> which is that um, Felix, the dad, has a friend named Cassius and <laughs> wants to perhaps set up Aunt Delilah with Aunt Delilah's getting hooked with, up. Yeah, it's How like Aunt a, Delilah got her groove back. Yeah, <laughs> Sobble Beach. <laughs> and um, anyways, I think that that's a time when the kids start to appreciate Aunt Delilah's company, though, for the first time. And she kind of does bring something, even though she's weird. She teaches them fun card games. There's this great scene where as her and Cassius are getting a little closer, they're bonding over some fishing. She has like <laughs> her old method of doing it, and he is kind of flexing on her with, like, his fancy fishing rod. Um, and she has, like, a piece of wood. She has, like, with... a piece of wood with, like, a string tied, well, like, fishing line and then a mango peel or some kind of orange peel as the bait. Um, and she's trying to prove that her methods are just as good. And she catches a catfish, and he's, yeah, like... Like a big catfish. Like a big, like a big, ugly catfish, and he's, like, you don't want a catfish. And I guess it's because catfish are, like, bottom feeders, and they just eat garbage and shit. So but aren't they delicious? They're yes. delicious, but he's, he's, he's like on his high horse, yeah. this Cassius character. Um, and she ends up just pushing him in the lake, which I thought was aggressive and weird. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, fuck that guy anyhow. <laughs> and uh, the parents are like, why would you do that? That's so insane. Anyways, I just liked it because I think that it showed the kids like this kind of interesting side of their aunt. And then she eventually, she just can't really fit in into Canadian culture and keeps you know reminiscing about how things are better in Mumbai. And she ends up going back, but... She is, uh, we don't really know what, we kind of get a check-in with her later on, so we know she's all, I guess, good. What I liked about the end of that story is that little piece of information at the end that gets dropped in about Xavier. And it's like mm-hmm. an M. Night Shyamalan like, yeah, twist. Yeah, and you're like, what? Because <laughs> they mention this guy, Xavier, who Delilah's mentioned to the kids earlier, and then one of the kids, I think it's Allie, mentions it to her mom later, and she's like, you don't have to worry about him anymore. He's, like, not there to hurt kids. And you're like, wait, yeah. what? <laughs> Which is, I feel like that kind of thing happened a lot to me anyways as a kid where you got like some weird piece of information that didn't make sense with anything else like and a tantalizing like, and now you morsel. never will have that mm-hmm. ever like you just like what happened and now that you're like an adult you would maybe ask about it yeah I think um, th- these are all good points because I feel like maybe one really good thing that the book did was sort of capture that feeling of being younger and ha- being introduced to these older mysterious strange relatives yeah and trying to learn about what might be behind what's in front of them or what's what's on the surface of them. Yeah, I think it kind of built this mythos around Aunt Delilah, right? Because it was like, there's obviously something, why, why is she by herself? Why does she need to come here? Why do they need to set her up with a man? Why does she seem a bit quiet, a bit off? And it turns out she has this kind of interesting dark secret or something that's happened trauma from her, from her childhood that seems to be following her around. Um, and the story does like really good things of showing her showing her to be an interesting sort of strange person. Like there's the way she fishes, but there's also the way that she shows them how to um, open a coconut for the first time. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, um, Clara had brought her one to make her feel at home. Mm-hmm. I think at one point she said, this beach, is, this beach sucks. Yeah. Because the water's 
fucking freeze. She didn't say fuck. <laughs> Water's fucking freezing. There's no coconuts. But her sister had brought her, had smuggled her a, a coconut. Yeah. So, and it's almost like there are these, up until a certain point in the story, there's, you can see that she might, uh, Delilah might be finding her way to, and making peace with living and mm-hmm. moving to Canada. And then something very formative changes her mind. And we learn later on that she doesn't stay and she goes back. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Also, you were talking about this kind of like kid perspective and sort of like slowly coming to realizations about the adult world. And I feel like in a lot of ways, it was similar to That Time I Loved You by Carrie Ann Long, where you have, I mean, also just because you have a lot of the perspectives are set in the suburbs with kids of immigrant families. And they're like kind of going through similar things like similar encounters with adults and other kids and some of the some of the tone and some of that kind of like weirdness of being a child and not fully understanding the adult world came up uh like it reminded me of that a lot can i ask you a question yes. so you talked about aunt delilah coming well part of it was like coming and seeing i think the kind of long game was not only setting her up with someone but also seeing like the idea was that she was going to move there and be closer to her sister uh, and kind of like leave yeah. India. Have for a North good American and, life. Yeah. And, and I think, I guess the question is, does this book kind of interrogate the idea of sort of immigrants coming to Canada for a better life? Mm. I mean, it talks about sort of, I guess that's why the Pintos come in for Clara, the mother. She's often kind of indicating to the kids yeah. And when she talks to Delilah and stuff like that, that that's why they came to Canada. But does the book kind of question whether it is a better life than what they would have had in Goa? Like, you never get the sense that Felix or Clara really have any anxiety or tension about where they ended up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you would agree with that. I mean, I would agree somewhat with that. Like, Clara seems in particular to be doing a lot. Like, they kind of describe she you know, takes care of the kids for most of the day and then she has work and then she, like, has to study because she's trying to re-qualify to become a teacher and she does that, like, in the middle of the night, right? They describe it happening at, like, 2 a.m. or something. Um, so it seemed, But she doesn't ever seem to be resentful of it or seem like feel like this is a problem. It's just something that she does. But I think just the, like, us learning about everything that happens makes us question it a bit. I think it's interesting that if we could go back to the idea of is it really a better life? Out of my dad's siblings, so my dad has two brothers, he's the only one that's still in Canada, even though they all moved yeah. to Scarborough together. Mm-hmm. Oh. And I, know, and I know family friends as well who have gone back to Jamaica or found, like left Canada. So I think that there is this idea that like, you go and it's told that it's better and maybe someone goes ahead and they can adjust and they can adapt and whatever the benefits are of adapting, they think is worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they both, I don't know that they didn't adapt or that they didn't like it here, but they, it's interesting that they came and then they they did the thing, like they had families with, yeah. with mm-hmm. people that they knew from Jamaica and then at some point decided to leave. I wonder more about that. Like I'd like to maybe talk to them more about that to understand why you would... Uh, leave this promised land where it was working out for them. It's not like they weren't successful Mm -hmm. or anything. I think there's also just like, there is a range of immigrant experiences and we've only been given one of them for most of the pop culture that exists around Mm it. Uh, On the weekend, a friend was in town visiting and they had gone back to China to visit like his wife's family and he's white. But he was talking about how like, it's interesting to like go to China and like see kind of the range of people there. Mm 
he was saying how like the successful immigrant story is generally the one that we get and I was kind of like yeah I guess the ones like the people like he seems surprised that like he's like yeah like you know there's people who are slackers and people where there's like a whole range of people and I was like yes there's a whole range of people that exist and he's just like yeah you know like the successful immigrant story is the one that we usually get but like to the point of like immigrants in Canada it's usually better or the idea is usually better I don't know I think going back to it just depends on what you came from and whether you have those opportunities there is that range like my grandmother's life was not necessarily better when she came here I don't think but she didn't have the option to go back really like she came here as somebody's wife Mm -hmm. who like went back to find a wife And next, we're talking to Derek Mascarenas about his book, Coconut Dreams. Do you want to introduce yourself and describe Coconut Dreams? Sure. My name is Derek Mascarenas, um, and my book is Coconut Dreams, and uh, it's my first book, and it's a linked short story collection um, that talks about the, the Pinto family. And specifically, it kind of focuses on two, uh, two siblings, Ali, um, the sister, and then Aiden, uh, the brother. And uh, it kind of looks at their experiences growing up in, uh, in the suburb of Burlington, Ontario, in the 90s. Uh, I mean, the story starts kind of decades before the bulk of it. The bulk of it takes yeah. place kind of mid-90s yeah. in Burlington, Ontario. Um, but it starts with kind of like, for lack of a better term, the origins of the Pinto family in Goa, yeah. India. And I think all of us were talking about, like, we've read a lot of books from kind of either set in India or kind of describing the India dias- diaspora, uh, but not a lot set in Goa. And what what do, what do you think is kind of unique about it? And what did you want to depict? Because both the beginning story as well, like there are bookends that take place in Goa, yeah. as well as a, a kind of story in the middle um, so while most of it takes place in the suburbs of Ontario, a lot of important stories take place in Goa. So what kind of, what made you want to depict it and what do you think is unique about it in fiction? So it's it's almost like the origin, the, to start off with it, I, mm-hmm. I, felt, I felt it was important because um, I wanted to give the, the reader that kind of close-up view of that of that world. And I think it's a bit important because the, the kids don't have that view. Like they, they obviously like... They hear about it, and they and some of that culture kind of seeps through, and they um, hear stories and um, things from their parents, um, but they don't really have ac- access to it. And so I wanted to give the reader upfront, like this is what they are are kind of uh, imagining or, or picturing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just the I, I, like I haven't seen. Um, my, it, it's funny because after I put it out, um, I've kind of connected with other Goan writers, mm-hmm. or, and um, I'm. Realize there is actually some more going. You don't see it like in, I guess, popular um, culture, and mm-hmm. um, so that yeah, I did want to kind of capture that that world, that uh, that village life, because the Go Go is known for. Um, so it it, uh, it was a Portuguese colony, and um, but I guess in the world today, it's kind of known for its like the beaches and the and more of like a a party scene. But uh, there's a whole like village life that's that just isn't um, isn't being captured in some some ways. That one was interesting because it was in the I hadn't, I've never written something that far back, and in some ways it's it's very similar. <laughs> like when I I personally went the first time, there's something that just hasn't hasn't changed. It's still very, it's almost like um, 
Like you kind of have to use your imagination that much when describing like the buildings. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah, exactly. But but other things obviously have mm-hmm. have changed. Uh, like there's now there's mobile phones and um, the traffic is so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I mean we've been talking a lot about Goa, but also Burlington is yeah. like a huge part of this book. And um, what do you kind of about it stands out, particularly as a family of like Indian background. And as you describe it in the book, they're kind of like one of the few yeah. families of color in Burlington. Yeah. What about sort of that? Because there are a lot of like, I feel like this would be a very different book if the Pinto family had moved to like Scarborough. Mississauga or yeah. Brampton or Scarborough. Yeah. So in some ways they have a bit of a unique perspective. Yeah. I kind of have a mixed relationship with with Burlington like in some ways it's my like I love it it's it'd always be my hometown and like mm-hmm. um okay, what's, what's good about Burlington it's it's got a really, really good uh it's more, more the connections to to people and um the place and there's mm-hmm. there's really good like parks there and it's relatively safe like it's in some ways they were the Ali and Aiden were relatively privileged to grow up there versus like some other neighborhoods that kind of immigrant families are might be forced to, to live in. How, how um, far are they growing up from the Maple View Mall? <laughs> so they're 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 a bit far. They're far. Yeah, like they're twenty far. minutes from the Maple View Mall. <laughs> yeah, like they're they're on the other. Okay. <laughs> okay. 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 So, what's bad about Burlington? What 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 are you? What makes you conflicted about? What are the bad things about Burlington? So, from their perspective, they're they grow up kind of racialized like they right away they're they're different like in their classes like they're completely like visible visibly different so they two kids kind of they learn very early on probably maybe um earlier than um because they're, they're forced to about like power dynamics and how to like interact and, and navigate in that space and that kind of shapes shapes them as as people and um how they kind of react to different events in this story. That kind of sticks out in the one story where, like, even adults, like, it's one thing for kids the same yeah. age, but, like, even adults kind of feel comfortable in Burlington sort of making these racist comments and assumptions about kids, essentially, when they when they encounter them. And the one that comes up, comes to mind is the, the book, or sorry, the story about uh, them kind of coming across the candy store with its yeah. door unlocked, or like kind of the concession stand with its door unlocked, yeah. and they go and kind of like fill their pockets. Uh, fallen, fallen, fallen leaves. leaves. Fallen yeah. leaves, yeah. And then like later on, the it's not really clear who it is, but we can assume he's like the owner or the manager of that shop, encounters them and like accuses them of stealing or robbing his store. Mm-hmm. So I think it comes up a, a few times, like the earlier stories, um, uh, carriers and, and picking trolleums, like that, again, it's it's more with, uh, as you said, like with the other other kids. Um, that Fallen Leaves in particular, like, yeah, that was the case where it was, it, it's not just the kids, it's also like an adult um, who, yeah, who kind of um, is, is racist. That's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or like make these kids aware that yeah they're different and that in the eyes of these adults that they don't necessarily deserve to be here in the way they feel they do yeah i think i kind of wanted to show both because like it, in some ways you it's almost um by pointing to like this oh there's this one like racist bad guy mm-hmm. that um but it, it wasn't it's not just like this one mm-hmm. racist bad guy it's all of like the little things that growing up that they that they encounter that kind of shapes them and affects affects the way they they yeah. turn out yeah. One question Ali brought up is that kind of a through line that runs through a lot of the stories. A lot of it is like children reckoning with 
things that maybe they don't fully understand mm-hmm. until adulthood. Mm-hmm. And it's like things are only kind of half understood and we as the reader understand what's going on, but it's clear that Aiden and Allie don't. I mean, what were you trying to do with that kind of difference of like an adult understanding of what's happening versus their understanding? So the the heart of the like the heart of the collection is those two stories, those two kids. Um and they like their their voices kind of came to me first and they were the like all of, all of the stories kind of started with the their their voices so i think that they um in, in some ways it's a that age or that they do kind of grow they do age as they uh go through the book but uh that age is something kind of special about about that you can do a lot with from like a literary perspective like you there's just so much um potential for like anything that impacts like anything that an event that happens can impact the rest of their lives so it, there's yeah there's this like heightened sense of um of, of tension and um like the stakes the stakes are higher because formative years yeah right? exactly exactly yeah so far away so far away okay so it's a, the one about where um <laughs> the ant comes in yeah and yeah. uh, delilah, delilah yeah. comes yeah. from goa um you know with the it's that story of a family bringing it, a relative. They set it up for the relative to come and have success and more easily assimilate and build a life, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so she comes. She's about, so I guess she's in her early 30s when she comes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a nice line at the beginning about how she was ha- had a fear of men. Mm-hmm. There's a wonderful image of how she was a great fisher man, fisher person. <laughs> she was good at catching fish yeah. uh, in Goa and uh, used this technique of a um, using line on a board to... Uh, and a stick, yeah. A stick. On, yeah. A stick. yeah. And but like, a, well, I guess she would prefer a mango peel, but she has to use an orange peel in yeah. Ontario. And she yeah. rolls the stick is the way that she would get, she would uh, reel in the, the line. So there was a, I, I like that story a lot. I don't know if, if there's um, something interesting you can tell us about where that story came from or... So that one, it kind of captures that uh, that experience of like kind of going on a road trip. And you see, you see kind of, Aiden kind of sees Canada reflected in a different way because he's experiencing it through through her aunt. Like he, he realizes that um, that his his experiences are, are different than, um, than someone coming in. In some ways he's like, he's very similar to her, but then he's completely different as well. One thing we didn't really talk about that story, which is nice to see, was it was a depiction of people of color going to the cottage in Ontario. And I don't know if you remember, there was an article in Cottage Life a little while ago by Elamine Abdelmamoud about, you know, going to the cottage while Black and how it's, I think, kind of seen as such a white experience going to the cottage in Ontario in the summer, but it it's not and there's no reason it should be, but just the depiction of it in, you know, in ads, particularly like liquor ads and beer ads, Mm -hmm. um, but also just like through magazines and stuff. And just the experience in Ontario has been like white people going out to the wilderness, but there's no reason it should be, especially like in Southern Ontario, there are so many people of color and where else are they going to go vacation? Like why not go to the lake? Mm -hmm. Um, So that was kind of nice to see as well. It reminds me of when uh, the David episode that you mentioned about sort of we talked about black people using the way they use nature yeah. in that book. Yeah. And um, yeah, you're right. I didn't notice that I probably haven't read a story about brown or black people going to the cottage yet. So this is the maybe the first story ever about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so do you want to play our game? Sure. All right. So when we have an author on the podcast, we like to ask them to kind of recommend 
few kind of cultural items that are connected to the book in some way. So whether that's, you know, if you really enjoyed Coconut Dreams and you want to experience something else that has that same kind of feeling, maybe it's similar in like literal plot, but maybe it's just in the feeling, you know, the mood, uh, what would you recommend? So if you really enjoyed Coconut Dreams, what is a song you would recommend to kind of continue that feeling? I tend to, when I when I actually like write, I do listen to music and it's usually like one song on like repeat like over and over <laughs> and over again um so i have like all these it changes depending on what gets stuck in my head but um i usually have like i have this some songs that i come come back to and like i can just turn them on and just it just lets me getting that in that space and quiets like all of the, the outside world um and one of them it has the same feeling at least uh, to me was um was arcade fires um neighborhood number one uh, tunnels i think it's in brackets, but um, that one is, is from Funeral, which is an amazing album. But the, that one, song in particular, like it has this kind of like whimsical start, and um, and it really captures that that kid, um, like the uh, the snow kind of like comes down and like buries the, the house, and then they build or like they um, the kids kind of like decide like oh uh, tunnel our way through and meet in the middle. Um, so it it captured that like neighborhood feeling and that like suburb type feeling. Um, yeah. All right, good pick. Interestingly, not from the Suburbs album. Yeah, I know. I, I was, <laughs> the, uh, my other pick would have been uh, Suburban War, that one. That's another one that I listen to when I, yeah. uh, when I write. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, so if they, people want to bask in the afterglow of uh, the themes, the ideas, the era, Burlington, Goa, the 90s, what movie or TV show would you say that they should watch? <laughs> Maybe I can just do a. I don't know if it has the exact same feel, but I one movie that I gravitated towards when I was a kid um, was Matilda. Yeah. Um, Perfect just, pick. Perfect yeah. pick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Why? Yeah, just because she was in this situation where um, it obviously wasn't ideal, and like there was she was um, had challenges from all over the place, and. Um, there's a sense of kind of injustice and then like this hope and then she, yeah she obviously gets um kind of puts bullies in their in their place and um that finding those those connections she ends up finding the a connection to like to that teacher and um yeah that's okay. follow up question favorite scene from matilda what's your favorite <laughs> favorite scene? scene from matilda okay so there you got to be the the cake eating one oh, <laughs> what's his name oh. again the guy, the kid that eats the cake really well I can't but they're remember. cheering him on. I forget. Oh yeah, I don't know. Uh, anyways, or the um, or the part where Mrs. Trunchbull throws the kid out. Yes. The, yeah, throws the kid out the window, and then Matilda just like flies him back. Yeah. Yeah, crazy scenes. I, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I went to the Matilda Toronto premiere, and um, Mara Wilson. Mara Wilson was there, and uh, so I have a very uh, close connection. You went to, to the Toronto. How old are you? Like? I was too old. <laughs> no, but that movie didn't. I mean, you would yeah. have been like a teenager. Yeah, right? I was. Okay. I got free. I got free tickets to it. So oh, I wasn't. Wow. The, I wasn't the perfect age for it. But I have. Uh, close I'm just memories. amazed that a teenager is getting access to like premiere. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, so last one. Coconut Dreams. Someone wants to uh, remain in sort of the ideas, themes, setting. What book would you uh, suggest or recommend? Um, so I'd probably say for it. It has like some part of the. Um, Connection, not everything, but uh, Arundhati Roy's God of the Small Things. Um, and that one specifically because, um, or it has two siblings as well. Um, in that case, they're, they're twins. But just the way they, there's that, there's this like innocence 
there with those kids and like they they obviously go through a ton of challenges and they but they 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 almost have this like shield of innocence where they they um they kind of tackle them and then um that's one book um the god of small things um i tend to come back to and i didn't realize that till after is um after i wrote it but i was trying to think of it something like where the but those two kids like the just the feeling of those it's obviously a completely different story and um and i'm always like in awe of it when i read it but um those yeah the the feeling of those those two kids and and how they I don't know how they how they move through the the, the world too. Awesome. Right. Good know, picks. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Derek. Do you, do you have any social media or anything you want to um, mention uh, to, to to listeners? Sure. Um, so yeah, I'm on our DP Masca or DP M A S C A is my uh, Twitter and Instagram, um, and then just uh, website is DerekMascarenas.ca. All right. Thanks so much for talking with us about coconut dreams yeah thank you so much for having me it was a pleasure thanks so much for listening semi-pros is a penguin random house canada production please visit us at semipros.ca for more information about all the books we talk about follow us on twitter at semi-pros pod and rate and review us on itunes